dealing with the demons of COVID-19. Um, you know, recently I've been thinking about demonic activity, and so I just kind of looked up demons and COVID-19, and it shocked me uh, the number of news articles that are talking about this, but what also shocked me was that these news articles were much um, more present in third world countries in Africa than in Western countries. We sometimes don't want to talk about demons. We think maybe they don't exist or the devil doesn't exist. And that's, of course, the devil's greatest ploy that we would think he does not exist. And in looking at this, a friend of mine recommended a resource to me, actually a speaker who I, I don't know personally, but Conrad Vine from Adventist Frontier Missions and uh, he and others worked together on a, on a deliverance ministry manual. And I want to just give a shout out to that because as I read it this week, it's about a hundred and some pages. Uh, as I read through it this week, it, it was a great blessing. Um, it's an excellent resource. Um, and I think that, uh, that you may want to take advantage of that resource after you listen to the sermon today. So let's pray together and then ask the Lord to bless and guide us today. Father in heaven, Lord, um, we, we of our own selves can do nothing or whatever we do uh, will lead to nothing. And so we plead for your presence to be with us today, not only in this message, but in our very lives as we as a nation and as a world have had feelings of vulnerability and um, they remind us that uh, without your power, without your sustaining power, none of us would even be alive because in you we live and move and have our being. Whether or not we believe, uh, if we're unbelievers, you still sustain us in your mercy. If we're believers, you are sustaining us. And so help us to remember that today and that you are the God who desires to rescue the perishing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's get into our passage today. And we're going to look here in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And Mark is like one of my favorite Gospels because it has the word immediately. Again and again and again. How many of you like something to get done immediately? And how many like things done rapidly? Well, this Gospel is for you then. In fact, if you are struggling with uh, demonic forces in your life, this is especially a good gospel for you because it talks about it a lot of times in these various stories. So we're going to look here in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look here in verse 35. We'll start in verse 35 there. You see it on the screen. And on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. You know, that kind of sounds ominous as well. The other side, the far side. The country of the Gadarenes is the other side, it tells us in chapter 5 and verse 1. And the Gadarenes were part of a larger conglomerate of nations or cities that were called the Decapolis, Deca meaning ten, polis meaning the city, in eastern Palestine that were formed by Pompeii in 63 B.C. 
Julius Caesar was up in Spain and Britain and other places, but Pompey was down there, and he was conquering these, and he was setting up these kingdoms or these cities as a showcase of Roman and Greek gods. And uh, Gadara was the original capital of this league of cities. And so the Gadarenes were in the capital city of the Decapolis, which was a showcase of the gods of the Romans and the Greeks. You might say the heathens. And the Jews would say they were heathen, and would say they were unclean. And you can see the cities there right along the Sea of Galilee, Hippos, and then Gadara, and then Pella, and all of these different cities. Only Bethshean on the other side, but some of us have traveled to. And uh, those cities were the cities of the Decapolis. This was the far side. And as they were traveling, they left the multitude. Jesus had been, if you look there in Mark chapter 4, you see that Jesus had just told all of these parables. Parable of the mustard seed, of the growing seed, of the sower, and the parable of the soils, and all of these seeds. Uh, I mean, all of these parables. And he was essentially talking to the Hebrews and the Jewish nation. And he uh, um, decided to get away someplace to rest. And he wanted to go somewhere where nobody knew him. How many of you have ever wanted to get away from work? And you want to go somewhere where nobody knows you. You want to get away from all your emails. You want to get away from all of the stressors. And so he said, I want to go to a place where nobody knows my name. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows us. And we'll just sneak away there. And we'll go to the other side. And a great windstorm arose as they were heading that way. And the waves beat into the boat. So it was already filling. Now, if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, um, which I've been privileged to be there a few times, it's, a, it's, it's actually quite shallow. Uh, it's pretty big. But it's kind of odd in that you can have a windstorm that comes up just rapidly out of nowhere. It can be just calm, and then it just comes up out of nowhere. And some people posit different reasons for that. They say that the cold on the top of Mount Hermon mixes with the, mixes with the warm and it causes these storms and whatnot. And so uh, they had this storm that came and the boat was filling up. But he was in the stern asleep. Now you know I was asleep, right? He was worn out from ministry. <laughs> Have you ever got so worn out from ministry that something's going on that would normally make, wake anyone else up, but you were just so tired? You were like... <laughs> This is how tired he was. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now that word rebuked in the book of Mark is only used anywhere else in the book of Mark when Jesus is speaking to a demon. And this now pulls away the screen, if you will, then really helps us understand what's happening. Um, He was not getting up and saying, now let there be peace, as a general statement. You know, I like peace. Love, joy, peace. Really into that, let there be peace. Not some like subjunctive platitude, just some kind of general statement. No. He was saying, you, be still. It was a present imperative, and he was saying, be quiet. He was speaking directly to the wind. Now, you think that's the wind he was speaking to? The actual wind? The oxygen? No. He was talking 
to the person behind the wind. And Ephesians tells us that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And we know from Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 that if Satan so desires and God allows, he can make wind come from four different directions and a tornado um, pushes over Job's house. And so he's speaking directly to the wind that had been whipped up by the devil who was trying to take away Jesus' rest and also take away the rest of his disciples after they had just heard wonderful parables about faith as a mustard seed and all these different things. And they had a wonderful ministry going on with Jesus. And now the devil doesn't want that to continue. Very fascinating. The storm had been caused by a demon. A demon. Now again, in our Western culture, we think, no, 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 it's not demons, it's not even the devil. This is exactly what the devil will want you to think. There's no devil, there's no demons. But when you talk to people from other parts of the world that are a little bit more in, uh, maybe in touch even with the word of God, uh, they often see things this way. Next week I'm going to be talking about science, falsely so-called. And I'm going to talk about how science, we put all our eggs in that basket, and um, it's not helping us much recently. Have you noticed that? Um, and yet, we, uh, we, we are committed to it. Now, I'm not against science, and I believe science comes as a result of the Word. I'll talk about that next week, but, and I'll show you that. But I'm just saying that many times we don't think about things in these terms. But notice how this author put it. While appearing to the children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, he will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Even now he is at work in accidents and calamities by sea and the land, in great conflagrations, that is fires, in fierce tornadoes, in terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, and earthquakes, in every place, in a thousand ways and forms. He, that being the devil, is active. In fact, it says sometimes he causes diseases and then takes them away. It's kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Have you heard anything about fires recently in California, at least? I have. All last, the last several months, the government shut down everything, all the power grid because of fires. We had to all go out and buy generators. People didn't know exactly what to do about it. It was a kind of a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, we thought. But then, now we have everything shut down. And in six weeks, people have not been out and about. Whoever thought that would happen? People lost all their jobs. People lost this and lost that. And then there were tornadoes recently. Have you heard about the tornadoes recently in Tennessee? And then there were earthquakes and we say, oh, it's just natural causes. Mm, well, it might be natural, but there's something supernatural behind the natural, is what this author is saying. And I happen to believe the same thing. If you read the scriptures, you have to believe that, or else you're dicing and slicing. You're, 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 just, you're just a cafeteria-style Bible person that's just taking a little here, but not over there. The Bible talks about a supernatural great controversy between good 
and evil. And it's been going on since the first part of time. And it talks about, and I need to study this with you, maybe I'll do this, coming up soon. It talks about how the battle is being won by God. And as it's being won by God, the devil gets more and more desperate, and he takes any opportunity to wreak havoc. Revelation 20 tells us all about it. How many of you like to study Revelation 20 at some point? The point is, we've got to remember that there is a great controversy, that God is winning in that great controversy. But as he begins to win more and more, the devil gets more and more excited. Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest and famine and distress follow. He imparts to the air a deadly taint and thousands perish by the what? Pestilence. These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. Now, I'm not trying to scare you today, but most people are already scared, so I don't need to do that. You already realize. But what I'm trying to help you do is understand what you're seeing, and if you understand it, you will not be as fearful. And that's the whole reason that we have a church. And that's why we study the Bible. Because in the Bible, God pulls back the curtains and helps us understand not only who he is and where he is and what he's doing, but who we are and where we are and what we're supposed to be doing. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And we need to remember that. And that's what's going on actually right now in the world, around the world, in an unprecedented way in that everybody knows it because of media and because of communication. Now, what was the underlying issue? But he said to them, why are you so fearful? The issue was fear. How many of you have ever had fear? and anxiety of the last few weeks. Fear. But, not just fear, he goes on. How is it that you have no faith? So, fear comes from a lack of what? Faith. When we're fearful, it's because maybe we haven't been faithful. Or maybe we don't know that he's faithful. Fear comes from a lack of faith. Fear due to a lack of faith. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talking about fear and anxiety. He says, why are you worrying? You can't add even a cubit to your stature. You can't feed yourself. You can't clothe yourself. And then he talks about all those things. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And in that particular passage, it's faiths, plural. We need to have faith, 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 faith. It's not something you just have at once. As something that develops and grows. And what he's saying to them, look, I just spoke to you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. They heard the word. They were living by the word, so to speak. And yet, their faith was so fragile that in the storm, it was gone. And these are, you might say, Christians he's talking to. These are disciples. These are not pagans. He's not yet to the heathen land. These are people that working right next to Jesus. You could say they are part of his, uh, the lead committee, maybe the Revival and Reformation Committee, I don't know. You might say they are at the center of everything. They're not 
off somewhere else. They're right in the middle of things. And they're having fear that comes from what? A lack of faith. So he was not just going over there to get a rest. He was getting over there to reveal to them that they had no rest. He was not just going to get a nap. He was helping them understand that they did not have the type of experience they needed with him. How many think that Jesus is kind of brilliant? This story is not just for the demoniac. It's for the disciple. The wicked are like a troubled sea when I cannot rest. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And that text is applied to the disciples in the book Desire of Ages. The wicked are like a troubled sea. Look, you could be working as a pastor, Don, at the Weimar Church and be wicked. You could be the minister of music and be wicked. Now, don't get me wrong, not all wicked, just a little wicked. How much wicked does it take to be wicked? Just a little bit, right? Just a tiny bit. I don't believe the Bible teaches that people are totally possessed. They sometimes are partially possessed, you know. You have different things that are going on in your life. Are you fearful? Do you lack faith? Could you be dealing with demons in your life? That's, that's the question today. Could COVID-19 be revealing the actual demons that are in your own life? The demon of fear. The demon of a, of a lack of faith. Dealing with the demons of COVID-19. COVID-19, wrestling the demon virus. Little demons, death, and biting dogs, how we picture disease. Priests reveal how the coronavirus crisis is unless intense demonic activity. Pentecostals are in a spiritual war against the coronavirus in Africa, in Africa as are some political leaders. And um, Yuval Noah Harari then says, beware of humanity's inner demons. These are all interesting articles, which I don't have time to go through, except for to point out that they're connecting COVID-19 with a demon and then saying it's revealing inner demons. What kind of demons? The new COVID crisis, domestic abuse rises worldwide. They're worried in this country because they're getting so few calls, but they, don't, they know that doesn't mean there's not domestic abuse. People are at home. They're locked in together. They have big problems and they have nowhere to go and solutions, and they're taking it out on each other. They're maybe they're snapping under the pressure. They're demonstrating anger. And maybe you're in that situation. I read a story about someone else who, who, who went to the store and was making eye movements and different things to try and let someone know they were being abused, and someone picked up on it. And sure enough, and that's happening. And if that's happening to you today, we're praying for you. And look, check out how your friends... Check up on your relatives. Don't be afraid to call for help. Because people, the underlying demons of unforgiveness, rage, anger, that maybe have been percolating and not fully dealt with, only can be dealt with by Jesus, they begin to percolate and the demon comes out. Pandemic drives alcohol sales and raises concerns about substance abuse. What's happening now is all kinds of people are turning to the drinks. They are buying more alcoholic beverages than is unprecedented. I may think that's a great thing for your immunity. 
It's the worst thing you could be doing, but people are doing it because they're stressed. They're fearful. They have no peace. They, ha- they don't have Christ in their life. And so they are fearful, and they don't have faith, and they're turning to something that can take it all away. They're turning to the spirits when they really should turn to the Holy Spirit. And some people are going back into addictions that got out of them because they're afraid. They're not just to be pointed out, they're to be pitied. Not just to be harangued, but helped. Officials worry about potential spike in overdose deaths from the COVID-19 panic. People's lives are coming to an end because they're so fearful that as they're self-medicating, they overdo it. What happens when the world mixes COVID-19, anxiety, and pornography? They talk about all these as pandemics. COVID-19, a pandemic. Anxiety, already an underlying pandemic. And pornography, a pandemic. And those are all coming together with free subscriptions being given by various pornographic sites to help people decrease their, their stress in various countries, such as Italy and other places. It is not decreasing stress to get into pornography. It's only exacerbating it. And these three, there's an 11.6 worldwide increase in porn consumption. Coronavirus, porn, and anxiety when three pandemics converge. And so the devil is taking all of these different things, swirling them together in a tornado activity to try and take people down. And I think it's comforting to at least know that. That there's a great controversy. But Christ will win. And everyone who is with him will be on the winning team. How many want to come to Christ? Re-establish your life. How many with me want to come to Christ again today? COVID-19, stress and anger. COVID-19, unemployment and suicide. And all these demons are coming together. But I was fascinated to see, as I was reading this week, all of the statements that are made not just in Scripture, which there are many of them, especially in the Gospel of Mark, as I mentioned, but also in the writings of an early Seventh-day Adventist prophet, one who actually laid the foundation to help the Adventist church and many others get through the Spanish flu crisis of 1918. And using the principles there of hydrotherapy and fomentations, hydrothermal therapy, hot and cold treatments, Seventh-day Adventists during that time Many of them, as they followed those principles, did not die from the Spanish flu, and the people they, they also helped did not die as well. But she also understood something else about the spiritual battle that was going on, and she has a lot to talk about demons. And she actually seems to mention the demons by name that could be manifest in your life. Would you like to see what she talks about? She talks about the demon of strife. She talks about the demon of intemperance. Do you think intemperance has driven people to die during this particular time. They ate too much. They drink too much. They smoke too much. And too much smoking is just one cigarette. And they're not prepared when the overwhelming tornado comes. Strife. That's that anger at home. That's that domestic violence. Intemperance. Selfishness. That's where you go and you buy all the toilet paper and don't let someone who has it, even if they say they have diarrhea. You say, no, I don't care. So, this is selfishness, greed. I'm going to try and make some money off of this. I'm going to get people when they're down. Ambition, jealousy, passion, 
unkindness, darkness, hysterics, always getting attention, throwing yourself around and different things. Satanic imaginings. That's where you're saying, you know what? I think everyone's out to get me. You walk around suspicious all day. You're imagining things. You stir up things because you're imagining things in your own mind. May not even be there. You're not telling yourself the truth. You're not telling anybody else the truth. Heresies, appetite, wine, liquor. She actually uses the word demon associated with each one of these things. How would you like to have a list of that? Would you like me to send you the list? Well, just, uh, just email me or, or get in touch. I'll send you that. It's a fascinating study. I don't have time to go through it right now. They feared exceedingly, and they said to one another, Who, or in the King James, What manner of man is this, that even the wind that, and the sea obey him? So here they are. They're like, these are the disciples. We're still talking about, we haven't even gotten to the heathens yet, but we were talking about the heathen disciples that have fear, and they have faithlessness, and they have demons in their life. Did the sons of thunder, James and John, have demons in their life? That the demon of anger. Did Peter have demons in his life? You go through all the disciples, and they were dealing with various demonic things in their life. And Jesus was, didn't give up on them. He's trying to work with them, just like he doesn't give up on you, who look so good in church, but really are so bad in some ways. I'm talking to myself here, folks. So, they said, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Now, they knew where that was from, Psalm 107, 28 and 29. Uh, Psalm 107 goes through various things that God delivers you from. It's a great psalm, but it ends by this. It, talks, it, 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 it has a section dealing with those that are at sea. Then they cry out to, what does it say next? What's it say next on the screen? They cry out to the, the what? The Lord, in their trouble, he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. They thought of this text, and they said, wait a minute. The person that's with us, what manner of man is that's with us? It's the Lord. And they use not lowercase o-r-d, not g lowercase o-d, but they use Yahweh. This is the Lord God. God is with us. Now look at this for a minute. In the midst of the storms of life, when it looks like he's not there and you're overwhelmed, (laughs) he's there. He's in the boat. And he's not just in the boat as some kind of unhelpful entity. He is the Lord God Almighty. Can you say amen to that? Sin has destroyed our peace. While self is unsubdued, we can find no rest. The masterful passions of the heart, no human power can control. So if you don't have peace, it's what in your life? It's self. And it's the masterful passions of the heart, which no human power can control. Don't think you're going to learn. I'm I'm not saying it's wrong to learn. Don't think you're going to learn some kind of method to re-script your thoughts to get you through it. Don't say, I'm going to have CB. Uh, CBT and LMNOP and QRS and XYZ. That might be useful, but it will not free you completely. No human power can control it. We are as helpless here 
as were the disciples, to quiet the raging storm. What does it say? You are as helpless as the disciples were. And the disciples were fighting against the storm that was led by who? A demon. So how many think we need the Lord? And that's what it says. The Lord was with them. He who spoke peace to the billows of Galilee spoke the words of peace to every soul. However fierce the tempest, those who turn to Jesus with the cry, Lord, save me, will find deliverance. How many want to say that? Lord, save me. It's even shorter when he's talking to Peter, which is Lord, save. It's two words. Lord, save. If you take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. He is there with all power in the midst of all hell to help you. And that might be even in your own mind. Your own mind. Do you need deliverance today as a Christian, as a disciple? I'm not, we haven't even talked about the heathens yet. As a disciple of Christ, as a believer, do you need deliverance today? Everybody does. Then cry out, Lord, save me. Then if you're struggling, say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I have faith, but help the lack of faith I have. What's the underlying issue of fear? It's lack of faith. Faith is another word, pistou. It's believe is the same word in Greek. Lord, I faith, but help my lack of faith. How many want your faith to increase? Crying out. Then they came. Then, now we're getting into when he came to the other side. Then, so he's dealt with the disciples. <laughs> he starts with the church members first. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. The big problem in the world is not necessarily the heathens. It's the church. Why has Jesus not yet come? The church has not prepared themselves. So after he deals with the church, then he gets to the heathen. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, that unclean country, the ten cities built to showcase the power of the Roman and Greek gods, in fact, of the demons. They come to Demonville after they had addressed the demon and seen who had power over demons, and they got there. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. By the way, tombs were also unclean. So he was in an unclean place. You shouldn't touch dead bodies or bodies or be near them, it said in the Old Testament. And he was an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among unclean tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with change. In other words, he had to be put in all these various units. You know, you'd probably put him in a psych unit. You'd probably put him in a prison, put him in a jail, you'd probably restrain him because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and by chains had been, the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one could tame him. And always day and night he was in the mountains and in the tubes crying out <coughs> and doing what? Cutting himself with stones. This is the picture. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible talk about cutting yourself? It does, in fact. In Deuteronomy 14, it says, You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut 
yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead. There's a connection in the Bible between cutting and death. Again, Leviticus 19.28. So not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. In America today, are there more tattoos being given today than there were 50 years ago? It is now the most popular thing to have tattoos, even in the Christian church. You know, I want to ask like I'm kind of like on the wild side. I have a little tattoo. I might have my shirt just come down to here, but you can see it. I might just have a little tattoo saying, you know, I, uh, and by the way, if someone has that, they are not reading the Bible. Now, I'm not trying to make it worse. It's actually a cry for help. Someone has a tattoo, someone's cutting themselves, it's a cry for help. And when Jesus looks at this demoniac, he's not looking at just in judgment. He did not come to judge the world, but the, the, that he might save the world. He did not go from the east to the west, from Jerusalem over to Gadarenes because he hated the Gadarenes. He went there because he loved them. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Notice someone that's looked at, someone studied cutting says this when someone is cutting that means they're dealing with self-unforgiveness sometimes they're dealing with self-resentment they're dealing with self-retaliation they're dealing with self-anger they're dealing with self-violence they're dealing with self-murder they're dealing with self-rejection they're dealing with self-accusation they're dealing with guilt they're dealing with anxiety they're dealing with death cutting is always a mayday signal. Help! I'm anxious. Help! I'm guilty. Help! I don't know how to numb the pain. I have a little release that comes from the endorphins of cutting myself, but it's not a sweet total release. It's only a little bit. The songs written about it. I just listened. A friend of mine let me listen to some songs the other day, and I listened to the songs that actually tie these two together just like this. And really, it's a cry for help. That's a cry for help. Those wretched beings dwelling in the place of graves, possessed by demons and bondage and uncontrolled passions and loathsome lusts, represent, what does it say? Represent what? What humanity would become if given up to satanic jurisdiction. Anybody in this room or in my hearing would begin cutting themselves just like that demoniac if... They're not surrendering to Christ. Everybody would do that. And so don't look in judgment at other people. You already found out you have some demons in your life. We just went through that. And just because they don't have total ascendancy doesn't mean you're not in trouble. And just remember this. There, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, the economy, everything has changed rapidly in just six weeks. But you know what? In your life, spiritually, things can trade rapidly just like that. If you fall away from the Lord, if you're not following him day by day, you can become just like that demoniac in five days. <laughs> so how does Jesus relate to this man? How does he relate to him? And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, What am I to do with you, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. 
I could go into that Son of the Most High God in that manual I told you from uh, Dr. Vine. He goes into that. It's very interesting. It's a technical term used only in, in Daniel chapter 7, Son of Man, and alluded to sometimes in the New Testament, but also in the book of Enoch. Enoch was an apocryphal book, but it called the Son of Man, or the, the Son of God, was the one that helped people get free of demons. And that was ubiquitous in their mindset. And he says, you are the one that's able to get me out of demons. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said unto him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered and said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out into the country. (coughs) Now a large herd of swine were feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see <coughs> what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had had the legion of demons sitting clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Have you ever noticed this? When people are hurting themselves, when people are doing all the demon things we saw listed, most people don't say, oh, you know, it's it's telling his wild out, it's telling his estate. They don't care too much. But when someone gets converted, people always get afraid. Oh, you're becoming too holy. Oh, man, I'm worried about you. You're hanging out with these freaks uh, from the church. I mean, you notice it. I don't care if you're going to hell, but if you're going to heaven, they get worried. I had so many friends back when I was in a number of years ago that I was going the wrong way. They never said anything to me until I got converted. They were calling me up. What happened to you? What's wrong with you? Really, you know what? They're not so worried about me. They're worried about surrendering themselves to God. They're afraid that maybe something needs to change in their life. And there he was, the untamed demoniac now controlled, the terrorizing demoniac now at peace, the naked man now clothed. Now, by the way, always, always when you're going the wrong way, there's a decided, usually, change in in dress. If you start going on the dark side, you'll start wearing dark stuff, if you wear stuff at all. Remember, he was naked. But if you're going the wrong way, you're going to wear stuff that signals that. It signals that. The handoff of hydrotherapy. Thank you. The technological Levite, Dr. K. Thank you. So, um, uh, uh, it signals that. So, will you, it, you know, if you're a parent, watch your kids. If they start putting on stuff they know they shouldn't be putting off, you've told them that their whole life. And they start putting it on. What is that? It's a marker. So I'm going that way. And sometimes they'll start wearing stuff they didn't even know what it's about. I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, well, I don't know what that means. It was a little something that said, you know, that uh, good and bad are equal. equal. They're just the same. There's not one. They're just equal. I mean, does that make any sense? Good and evil equal? But there's religions that actually teach that. 
So look, when you're going the wrong way, you'll start wearing the wrong things, and you'll start drinking the wrong things, start eating the wrong things, and you're destroying yourself, and these are all markers. But notice here, in this passage, Jesus, how Jesus relates to this person. First of all, let's review. He crossed the sea to expose the lack of faith among his own disciples. So don't think if you are a demoniac type person doing those kind of things that Jesus is just looking at you. They always think People always think that. Why are you talking to me? Why are you telling me what to do? Have you ever heard someone say that? Why are you telling me what to do? I can do what I want. Well, it's obvious they can, but the Christian has been told what to do so many times by God if they're surrendered. That, that's, that's normal. Live out thy life with him. He tell me what to do. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to walk. So first of all, he deals with that. Secondly, Jesus crossed the sea to reach the unclean Gadarene. So if you think Jesus doesn't care about you, here's a picture of a story where he not only is with his own people, he crosses the sea to go where the unclean are. He goes, you might say, into the COVID-19 ward with the demon disease and the demoniacs. Jesus heard his silent cry. What was his silent cry? He came, he ran, he worshipped him. In other words, he made some kind of move that God knew that he needed help. It's almost like someone with domestic violence and they're trying to silently scream for help. And he saw it. And whenever he sees even a hint that you want his help and you're open to it, he, he's going to help you. And that's what he's done. He's gone over there. And he sees that this man is in trouble. He doesn't react to his craziness. But he reacts to his need. Jesus spoke directly to the source of the problem, the demon in his life. In this case, the demons, legions of them. And don't think it's just a demoniac that has legions of demons. I went through the demons of the disciples. But he speaks directly, just as he had spoken to the sea. Jesus allowed the economy, now get this one, he allowed the economy of an entire country to experience a meltdown for this one person. I hear it all the time. Oh, I hear the last few weeks. We're letting the whole economy go. Kaput! Just for a few people that really are not that great anyway. They didn't take care of themselves and there's now, I'm not trying to get into a political discussion here. But I just want to point out that the pigs in that culture, that was like the bank. They raised the pigs who had piglets, who had more piglets, and then they, they put the resources in the piggy bank, and this was their economy. I mean, it wasn't just 2,000 pigs. I didn't look it up. That's a lot of money, even today. It wasn't just that. It was the pigs the pigs could have had. It obliterated the economy all 
for one, or if you read Matthew, two demoniacs. Jesus allowed the economy of the entire country to experience a meltdown for this one man, but also for them. Because it was a mercy to the owners of the swine that this loss had been permitted to come upon them. It was a what? Mercy. Why? They were absorbed in earthly things and cared not for the great interests of spiritual life. Oh, I'm just really, I've got all these jobs lined up and making all this money. By the way, it's kind of interesting. All the money people made to spend on things that really are not that essential. And they all got shut down recently, too. I can't go to the bar. I can't go to the movies. I can't go to my sports team. All this has been laid bare, hasn't it? They care not for the interests of spiritual life. Jesus desired to break the spell of selfish indifference. What is a spell? It's a demonic influence. That they might accept his grace. But regret and indignation for their temporal loss blinding their, their, their eyes to the Savior's mercy. They begin picketing, maybe. Get out! Stop this! Don't you see? The economy's going down! Who cares about that person? What about my paycheck? They apprehended financial ruin and determined to be freed from his presence. Those who had crossed the lake with Jesus told all at what had happened the preceding night and how the wind and the sea had been still. They say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 before you start freaking out about the economy, wait. He is so powerful, he stopped the wind and the waves. This is God. If he can stop the wind and the waves, he'll take care of you. Take care of your finances. But the demon of financial and economic success was so strong. Their words were without effect. (coughs) In terror, the people thronged about Jesus, beseeching him to depart from them. And he complied, taking a ship at once to the opposite shore. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, did you know what's going to bring the final conflict against God's people? Concerns about the economy. That's what it's going to be. And guess what God's people are going to have at the end? Nothing. They can't buy. They can't sell. And the only thing they have is Jesus. And he saves them. I think it's kind of interesting. Wow. By the way, some of you listening may be here because people have broken their piggy banks to help you out. They didn't have money, but they went into financial meltdown to help you. Jesus is a representative of the riches of all heaven that were poured out for you. This coronavirus maybe has alerted you to the fact that you are tied to the economy and to the filthy lucre 
In fact, the last day church in Revelation chapter 3 is pictured like this. Rich and increased with goods. Wretched, poor, pitiful, naked, and blind. Sounds a lot like a demoniac. Not realizing they are that way, just like the demoniac was not realizing he was that way. And Jesus is standing at the door, knocking. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to deliver you. And they're rejecting deliverance. For supposed wealth. How many don't want to be in that picture? This is a passage not just for the demoniac, but for the disciple. But notice what happened to this disciple. The words penetrated his darkened mind. A marvelous change had come. Light had shone into the mind of the demoniac, and his eyes were beaming with now intelligence. He had been restored to reason. This was a depression recovery program. Everything had now changed in his mind. And when he got into the boat, that is when Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might go with him and might be with him. He says, look, I want to stay with you. I want to stay here in this wonderful little Depression recovery program, you're running here in the Gadarenes. Why don't you stay? We'll set up a clinic. What does Jesus say? Well, we have an online school. If you get trained, you can lead the program. He doesn't say that. (laughs) However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him something very careful. What did he say? Go home to your friends and tell them. (coughs) Just tell them. What great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Wow. Part of his treatment was not to just see the love of God, how he came from the far side to his side, not just to see all these things we went through, but part of his treatment was to take the very things that he had been doing and talk about them in a different way. I used to cut, but now... I believe in the one who was cut in two for me. I used to bleed, but now I've accepted his blood into my life. I used to think about what I was wearing to get attention, but now all my attention is on him, and he covers me with his robe of righteousness. Everything changes. And suddenly, the demoniac becomes an essential worker. How many of you want to be essential workers for God? It doesn't take much. And yet it takes all. Surrendering to God. Crying out, Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me from the demon of the demon of, the demon of. No demon in the book of Mark and no battle throughout the Bible between Michael, that is Jesus, the archangel, and the devil and his angels was ever lost. Jesus won every single battle. And he will win every single battle all the way to the end. And the question is, 
Will we let him? Will we let him? He departed. (laughs) And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, says that Jesus went back and there was a great harvest of belief later on, several chapters later. And then after Pentecost, there were thousands that came to the Lord, all because of the testimony of someone who never went to the seminary. Who never had all the opportunities of any, of many of you listening today, never had any of those opportunities. You know, education will not save you. Learning will not save you. Money will not save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. And it basically boils down. People listen to you. Oh yeah, that's really interesting what you said. But what happened to you? Tell me about what happened to you. Well, I was lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. God saved my life. And he continues to save my life. I told some of you my own story. You need to be a specialist in your own story. What was my life life before Jesus? What happened when Jesus came in? And what is he doing in my life now? Then you become an essential worker. Now, I listened to a sermon on this passage by Conrad Vine, who I mentioned. After I looked at his manual, I listened to it. I couldn't find a sermon directly on this, but I listened to one of his sermons because I didn't really know him. I wanted to see what he was like. And I listened to it. And he he ended with an interesting story that I want to end with right now. And this is the story. You know, he talked about, in in, in concluding his message, he talked about how if you ask an American, if you ask an American how it is that the Soviet Union fell, they'd tell you, you know, it was because Ronald Reagan worked with the Pope, and they together, they worked together together, and they handed messages, and then, and then Ronald Reagan spent all kinds of money, the economic might of America, and did a big, huge arms push, and that's what led to the fall of the Soviet Union. How many of you have ever heard that? And what Conrad <laughs> mentioned in the sermon, I think, was interesting. He said that, if you ask a Russian, they won't tell you that. And it's not just because of politically. And then he told a fascinating story about a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I read his books years ago. How many of you ever read his books? What? Nobody here has read his books. This is very sad. Okay, Alexander Solzhenitsyn um, was a, grew up under communism. He's born in, you know, during when the communists came to power in 1917. Basically, the same time Weimar Institute was built, 1970, right at the time of the Spanish flu as well. And he was an atheist, a card-carrying atheist. He didn't believe in God or anything like that. But somehow, for some reason, he was put in a prison camp. I can't remember exactly how. Probably because he was speaking out in some way against the excesses of government. So he was put in a concentration camp, and he was there, and he got skin cancer, and he was about to die, and he had to be treated. So he was in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital, he tells a story about a Jewish doctor who came and led him to Christ. This Jewish doctor had also been an atheist, hadn't believed at all, but somehow (coughs) someone had witnessed to him. And he just 
uh, was a new, new convert. And he said, you know, I need to tell someone. This is one guy, one Jewish doctor. I need to tell someone about Jesus because he had a sense that someone was going to kill him. They didn't like him because they thought that you know, he had converted to Christianity and they wanted to get rid of him in this concentration camp because they didn't believe in Christianity. And he realized that people were going to kill him. So he stayed in the hospital for like a number of days. He self-quarantined because he thought he was going to die. <laughs> and then he just had this strong impression, I need to tell someone about the Christ who have accepted because I never really told anybody. And uh, he told Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was an atheist at the time. Solzhenitsyn writes about it and says, Falling in operation, I'm lying in the surgical warm of the camp hospital. I can't move. I'm hot, I'm feverish, but nonetheless my thoughts do not dissolve into delirium. And I'm grateful for Dr. Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld, who is sitting beside my cot, talking to me all evening. The light has been turned out, so it will not hurt my eyes. He and I, and there's no one else in the ward. Fervently, he tells me the long story of his conversion from Judaism, actually atheism, Secular Judaism to Christianity. He's sharing his what? His testimony. I'm astonished at the conviction of the new convert and at the ardor of his words. Later that very night, that doctor was killed just like he thought he would be. Someone found him in the hallway and he never probably even knew what hit him, but they bludgeoned him to death and he died. That was his last conversation. His last conversation was sharing Jesus with Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It so impacted Alexander Solzhenitsyn that he became a Christian. And he wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago, a series of books. And he came to America, and he lectured at Harvard, and he went all over the place, and everybody read his books. And they all read his books back in the Soviet Union. And they begin to see that in the Soviet Union things were not right, that there was tyranny, that there was an overstep by government, and that those camps and how they had been isolated and quarantined into the camps and controlled was wrong. And if you ask a Russian why it is that that system fell, he says, they'll say it's because of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And if you ask Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he'd say it's because someone shared their testimony with me. The last words of that doctor were the first words for Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And your testimony can be used by God to totally change someone. I don't care what you've done or what's been done to you. I don't care if you've cut. I don't care if you've had lack of faith. I don't care if you've all those demons we talked about. Whatever you're in, you're still alive if you're listening to me now. And God wants to not only deliver you, but wants to use you to deliver others. How many of you want to be delivered from the fear and anxiety or whatever the demon is in your life? Amen. How many want to have a deeper faith? How many want to cry out, Lord, save me? Amen. Because if you do, praise the Lord. Amen. As you do, he will save you. Mm-hmm. And not only save you, He'll use you 
to reach the Decapolis and beyond. Amen. May God bless us as we address the demons that have been revealed during the time of COVID-19. Dear Jesus, we might have questionings. We might have doubts. But we don't want to. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Strengthen us as you did the demoniac, as you did the disciples. Let us take comfort that you are in the ship with us, that you never lost the battle. May we put our lives into your hands fully today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.